Um, this morning, I'm going to, I'm, I'm a very pragmatic person when it comes to all this stuff in the life of the church. Um, when it comes to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, I have certain expectations of that. I expect that if we encounter God, you know, the living God, in the midst of the gathering of the of his children, I expect that that something will change in us, that something will be shifted in us, that that the room will be arranged or something. I mean, what I really hope for is that God will just shake us and rearrange everything. Yeah, I mean, that's my hope. My hope is that he'll he'll rearrange everything in such a way that he he reprioritizes everything in our life so that they're in line with the values of the kingdom and the priorities of the kingdom. That's what I'm praying for. Uh, what I'm praying for in general, and I'm going to probably come back to this verse at the end, um, in terms of our experience together, I pray what, what the Apostle Paul prayed in Romans 15, 13. He said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. The connection to the, having being filled with all joy and peace is being connected with Him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we talk today, uh, you'll, you'll realize how important hope is in the midst of our journey because, uh, because we live by faith. And faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we do live from faith to faith. We do live in, a, in, a, in the tension of not always having that which we see and that which we desire from God. And so there's, there are stretches and there are periods where we're waiting where we're enduring, where we're persevering. That's why the Bible talks about those sort of things, because we have to do those sort of things. And I'm going to talk to you about a verse um, in the Bible that most of you will be familiar with. And before I do, I'm going to start with another text in the Bible that, that when you hear it, it sounds just so encouraging and so good. And then you read the verses before it, and you can hardly believe that it's in the middle of this whole narrative. In Lamentations 3, it says that the steadfast love of the Lord is never ceasing. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that nice? Well, it starts out with, it, the verses before it say, I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and he's made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, He has turned His hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness long as like those who are dead. And it goes on and on and on. And you're just sinking like a stone reading this. And, and, and then it says, but this will I call to mind. And therefore, I'll hope. Because of the Lord's great love, I've been redeemed. The steadfast love. You know, there's, there's always a context to this stuff. And the verse we're going to look at today is one that has been used out of context a whole lot. Um, and, and it's fine. You know, I understand that happens. And we, we, you know, first of all, there, there weren't even Bible verses when the Bible was written. You know, there wasn't, there were no chapter headings. There were no verses. And, uh, and, and th those were put in later to kind of give you reference to where they are. And we kind of almost made them sacred cows. John 3.16. You know, then we quote the verse and then we end with John 3.16. Like that is all that important. No, that's just a reference to where it's located. 
and so, uh, so this sentence in the Bible, we many of us have given um, out to people as a, as a word of encouragement. And I think it is, and I think it is a promise, but I think more than a promise, it's, it's a verse that gives us perspective and perception. Can we make these not isolate or something? I don't have any notes, but I, I would like to read the Bible. Thank you. That's good. Down. Okay. I don't care if I get hot. You're sitting there getting hot, aren't you? I mean, so I'll get hot. I'll get hot with you. Okay? Um, all right. This verse is, for I know, uh, 29, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know my plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Isn't that nice? You know what's wild is the verses that, the chapters that precede it though. It starts off with Je the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah in chapter 27, in which he says, I am going to use my servant, this is really important, my servant Nebuchadnezzar. Have you ever heard that name, Nebuchadnezzar? You ever hear of Dan Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel in the lion's den? Nebuchadnezzar threw, the, threw him in. Did that, you know, threw them in. And so, you know, and it's saying, God, these fans, man. <laughs> like them. <laughs> um, God says, he's my servant. And he tells Jeremiah, and I want you to tell the people to yield to him. He's going to put them under his authority and he's going to rule over them. And I want the people to listen to him because he's my servant. And he says, if you don't, then he'll take you from your land. And he'll place you in exile. So he's saying, so just go with this. And so Jeremiah, you know, takes this yoke upon himself and he begins to tell this story to the children of Israel. But there's other prophets that are saying, that's not true. You're only going to be in this position, in this condition for two years. And, and then it's all going to be over. And they were lying. And so the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and he says, go speak to those lying prophets. So he confronts them and he says, you're lying to the people. You're telling the people what you want them to hear. And not only that, you're telling the people what they want you to tell them. It says later on. They're, they're, you know, they're saying what you know they want to hear. And so, it goes on in, in, um, in this exchange between Hananiah prophet and false prophet and Jeremiah, in which Jeremiah ultimately says, you know what, you're a false prophet and God's going to kill you. And God does. I'm giving you the short version here uh, so we don't have to read 27, 28, 29. Uh, and so, then, then after all of that, they're in captivity. The lying prophets have been saying it's going to end any day. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be good. And Jeremiah then comes on the scene and begins to speak to the people. And we're going to pick up with uh, chapter 29, verse 4. I actually got that right. Um, it says, Jeremiah speaking to the people, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I, in my Bible, I have the words, I carried into exile. 
God brought them into exile. God orchestrated what was taking place in their life. And He was doing it because He was bringing His discipline to them. He was bringing correction to Him. It was actually an act of love that God placed Him in that position. And a lot of times, we find ourselves in, in particular positions and, we, and we, we just think God can't have anything to do with this. I mean, God could not possibly have given me a job with that man as the boss. You know, He couldn't possibly have given me a class with that person as the teacher. You know, He couldn't possibly put me in a relationship with that woman as my wife. Why don't we say that one? Um, you know, and, and so we're like, we're going, you know, hey, brother, sister, will you pray for me? You know, oh my gosh, pray that I get a new job. Pray that I get a new wife. Pray that I get a new bank account. Pray that, you know, whatever situation we're in, we're, we're asking people a lot of times to help me get out of this. When God's allowed us to be in that situation, because He's working in the situation to, to bring about His purpose and His plan in our life. Um, and it's not comfortable. And it's, and it's very painful at times. You know, when I was going through uh, difficult times and, and I was alone and isolated and all that, I mean, I felt great, great, great pain and great emotional distress. When I had to leave Fort Collins, Colorado and drive to Southern California, California, Southern California to work and leave my children behind, I sat behind that wheel of that car and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed as I drove down that road. The separation anxiety that I felt from my children just just almost just killed me. And uh, but I had to I had to do that if I was going to take care of them. And so I felt that pain, and I felt a lot, and I went through lots of isolation and lots of it. Do you know what God's done with that? He's worked His character in and through me, and and He's worked His heart in me. I am a very empathetic, although blunt, empathetic person. Um, uh, I, I'm not quick to just assume that you're, you know, messed up because you're, it's all your fault or, or because you're just a sinful, awful person. You know, I understand brokenness. I totally understand brokenness and relate to brokenness. But it was in the situation that God, you know, allowed me to be in that He was producing something in me. He goes on and he says, um, and I'm just going to stop at each point and talk about it. So he carried us into them into exile. And then he says, do this. This is great counsel. On, just trust me. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. So here's a people anxious to get out of here. Anxious to get out of the situation they're in, to get into a situation that they don't really know faces them. You know, um, they, they, they don't have faith for the situation they in, they're in, but they do have faith for a situation that doesn't exist. I have faced that so many times with people. They want it out of a relationship. They want out of a situation, job. I said, do you have another job? And, and they go, no. I said, well, how can, how can you have faith for something that doesn't exist and you don't have faith for something that does exist? Doesn't make much sense, does it? You know, and so, so, so the Lord is telling them, listen, you, this is where you are, and this is where you need to build. 
And you know what building? It takes time. It takes energy. It takes money. It takes blood. It takes sweat. It takes tears. You know, it's, it's not an easy process. It's, there's, it, there's a price tag to it. But the Lord said, don't keep looking off onto the horizon. Look at what's set before you. Do what is set before you. Build. I've been in churches before in situations that, that, you know, I, I, I wasn't happy in. I wasn't, I, I, I didn't enjoy the church. I didn't enjoy the, the, the philosophy of ministry. I didn't have a, you know, tremendous amount of regard for the, the person who was leading it. Uh, not that I didn't care for them, like them, but I, I saw the, their, their shortcomings and, and it would frustrate me. And I, and I'd like, Oh God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And I'd just get met with silence. You know? And, uh, and then I'd start making plans to get out of there. And then I'd get met with confrontation from the Lord. W- what are you doing? You might want to unpack that bag. Because you're going to be here for a while. You need to build right here. Not keep looking off on the horizon. Not keep trying to get out of a situation that exists to get yourself into a situation that you don't even know exists. We've got to be able to have faith for right where we're at. Um, I like to say this, and I don't know if you say this here and see your kids in Australia, but um, this deal of, you know, they, they, they're, they have their plate of food and they don't want to eat that, they want to eat the dessert. And you go, eat what's on your plate. Well, if you want to know God's will for your life, if you don't get anything else out of today, get this. If you want to know God's will for your life, eat what's on your plate. My advice to you, as a dumb person sometimes, eat it when it's hot. <laughs> eat it when it's fresh. Eat it before it's all dried up and moldy and yucky. You know? Um, because you will eat it. Okay? If God is orchestrating this, you will. And I've learned the quicker I respond, the better it is. You know, I've had to go and ask somebody to forgive me before, and, and, I, and I saw them, and I, I went to, you know, I had the impulse, I go, i got to go talk to them. And then they went, and I, I'll do it later. And then next time, I'll do it later. And then next time, then it got harder and harder and harder to do. Because you have more and more of those conversations that you have up here, and, uh, and you just get to this place where you're just almost convincing yourself, well, I don't really need to do it. But you do, and then when you finally do, you know, it's, it's much, much harder if we procrastinate and put it off. Okay? So, so we've got to build right where we're at. Um, I'm just going to say this as a pastor, a person who's pastored churches. Um, I believe, I believe with all my heart, I don't know why God has allowed for there to be like 33 to 43,000 denominations. You know, there was only one church up to 1054. There was only one church for a thousand years. And then uh, the um, Eastern Church and the Western Church split over, they split over how to take communion, what elements to use during communion. Sounds just like us, you know, a bunch of dingbats. Um, so, so they split in 1054, and there were two churches until about 1500s, the 1500s, and then there was a Reformation. And then since then, it's been kind of splitting, 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 splitting ever since. I wouldn't think that that would be God's best or God's purpose or God's plan or God's idea. Uh, I don't know. I, have, I don't really know. But I know this. God honors it. God honors these, I mean, God honors these 
little groups that go off and start doing their own thing and, and set themselves up. And, and, and the next thing you know, they're flourishing and God's blessing them. And you're going, I don't know why he does that, but he does. And then what happens is we, we're part of one of those groups, you know. Um, you're part of the vineyard. Well, the vineyard, you know, we were, we were Calvary Chapel. And we didn't split from them, but they, they invited us to split. <laughs> you might want to think about splitting. They gave us the left foot of fellowship. Um, and, uh, and so we did our, you know, so we set up our thing and we're doing that, all that. Well, and, and, and it's flourishing. There's 2,000 churches now worldwide. And, and so God's blessing the vineyard. And then what happens is then he brings people into this context because it's a context that they feel safe in. It's a context where they can feel that they can come in their broken state and they can have a hope of being healed, having a hope of being used and included, even if they're not perfect. You know, it's where imperfect people are perfectly welcome. Isn't that a lovely thing? And so, so, so God blesses that and uses that. So, so God brings you and you say, you say, you know, you come to the pastor and you say, this is home. God, this is where God has placed me. And then we go on and we start walking down the road a year, two years, three years later. And all of a sudden you go, you know, I'm going to be leaving. Okay, well, why? I just feel like it's, I feel like it's just time to move on. Okay, that's your prerogative. So, I mean, if you were saying this to John Wimber, John would say, okay. He goes, well, did the Lord speak to you? And he'd go, what? Did the Lord speak to you? Did he tell you to leave? Well, no. Well, then what are you doing? You know, old orders, old orders are standing orders. Until you, until you hear the Lord speak again, build, plant, and eat. Engage. The Lord spoke to me about leaving. It told me it was my, the time in, my time in the desert was over. And it took from the time He spoke those words to me probably two and a half years before I left. There was a process. And you know what I did? I stayed engaged in the life of that church, leading home groups, ministering, leading worship until the very last moment when they blessed me and released me to go. And another church received me into their fellowship. I just, I'm just not like, I just can't go and do whatever I want whenever I want to because I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price and the Holy Spirit sets me in the church as He sees fit. That's how it works, folks. I'm just telling you. So we're in a situation, and, and, and rather than looking at the horizon, I told somebody in the group the other day, I said, listen, by the way, the grass is brown on both sides of the fence. You know, it's just, you know, many times we're just, we're just trading one set of problems for another. And, uh, but but in, in this particular case, he's just saying, just wait. Just wait. And he said, and build. And he said, and plant. And they said, eat. You know? And so you're going to produce something and you're going to be able to eat of it. You're going to be able to be nourished by it. I mean, if you do that, if you build and if you plant, you know, and you, you stay focused and you stay engaged, you will, it will produce fruit. And you will be able to eat of that fruit. And it will nourish you and it will bless you and it will move you on. What I'm doing today is based on what I did three years ago and five years ago and seven years ago when I just was where God wanted me to do, where God wanted me to be, doing what God wanted me to do. And, and it's so funny. I have friends of mine that said, man, you, you've done so well. 
you did so good because they knew how difficult it was for me to be in this one particular church and, and under the leadership of that church. And, and they knew it was frustrating and, and hard for me. And they said, you've just done so well and you just did it without complaining and, 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 or, or murmuring and all that. And I said, where have you been? I whined the whole time. You know? But God is gracious. He grades on a curve. You know? And thank goodness, because, I mean, people who thought I did so well, I'm going, ah, no, I don't think, you know, I could have done a lot better. But he's very gracious. And, uh, but anyway, you get to, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in it. I can speak into people's lives today. I can encourage people. I can help people move on in Christ today because I ate what's on my plate. Because I ate what's on my plate. And now I can feed you off my plate from the things that God has taught me and helped me work through in the everyday life of the church. I like to tell people, they say, well, what do you do? You know, what do you do? And I said, I don't know, really. Um, um, I just encourage followers of Jesus to follow Jesus. I'm thinking that's not a bad idea, you know, uh, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and, and, and order your life around that, your job, your sex life, your, your, your um, finances, your, your household, your, everything in your life ordered around the kingdom first. The kingdom first. And then everything else falls in place under that. And so I just encourage followers of Jesus to follow Jesus. And, and the other thing I tell them I do is I, I said, I'm the guy you talk to when you get up off the floor. Because you've got to get up off the floor sometime. You need to stay down there you know, all day, but sometime, some way, you're going to have to get off that floor and you have to go back and you're going to have to face that husband. You're going to face those kids. You're going to have to face that boss. You're going to have to face those finances. And you're, that's when you have to go, that's when this kind of advice, this type of teaching, this type of counsel, build, plant, eat, engage. Don't stay disengaged. Engage fully. Even if you have an inkling that you'll be gone in two years, right now, today, embrace where you're at. You will not regret it. And God will use it to, to train you up and to, to mature you in Christ. He goes on to tell them, to go ahead and marry and have sons and daughters, find your, find wives for your sons and give give uh, your daughters in marriage and so on and so forth. And, you know, it, it just is indicating that it's kind of offsetting what they've been told. They've been told it's going to be two years and they'll be out from under this bondage. And and he's giving them advice that's flying in the face of that. They've, been, they've had the prophets prophesying to them and tell them all this wonderful stuff. And he's coming and he's saying, you know, you know, give your daughters in marriage. Give your sons in marriage. You know, raise up your family. Well, that sounds like I'm going to be here for a while, Lord. You know, I'm not liking this answer. I'm not liking these prophecies. But he's prophesying the truth to them. As it applies to us, I think it's, 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 it's I can sum it up in this statement. It just takes as long as it takes. You're wondering, how long? is this process going to take? You know, when people are in, um, uh, and it usually doesn't happen to the general congregation at all, but usually just happens to those in, in pastoral leadership. When they're brought into a disciplinary process, one of the first ant questions they have is, how long is this going to take? <laughs> and, and we don't answer. There we go, I don't know. How long is it going to take? Well, I want this to be over soon. Well, so do I. But we just have to go through what we go through. It might take a year. It might take two years. It might take five years. It doesn't matter. It just takes as long as it takes. 
We don't like those answers, do we? We like magic. Wave your hand over me and sprinkle some pixie dust and make everything good. Well, it's not the way life works. There's, there's, even when God comes suddenly to us and meets us, we still have to walk this thing out and live this thing out because that's where, that's where we grow in Him. Okay? I'll move on. Next awesome, wonderful, important thing. He said, also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper too. Two parts of that. One, he's saying, he's saying pray for the city I've carried you into exile. I mean, these, are, you, these people are ruling over you. I want you to pray for them. I want you to bless them. I want you to be a blessing in your community. You know, in, 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 in the world we live in, you know, you guys live in a society where, you know, I don't know, what, 4% Christian? 4% that go to church. There's something, something really low like that. I've actually heard worse statistics than that. I've heard it's 4% of all religious groups, you know, that, that actually attend services on a Sunday morning, or on a, whenever they're held, uh, in Australia. So, you're, you're a vast minority. So, you're out in a, in a secular society, uh, a, a godless society, people who don't believe what you believe, and you're, you're out there with them. Well, you know what God's saying? Quit cursing them, start blessing them. Quit complaining about them, and whining about them, and pointing your finger at them, and, and judging them, and condemning them, and start to reach your hand out to them and bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Light a candle, don't curse the darkness. You know? That's what we need to do. And, and Jesus said, you know, he talked about our light being like a, a little light on a lampstand. And not, it's not this big, you know, comet. It's just this little light on a lampstand. And that's all we have to be. Sometimes we think we have to be this big, mega, evangelistic person. No, just, just take your light stand and set it on the table where everybody can see it. And it can light the area that you're in. That's all you're responsible for. Quit trying to take on the whole world. Just take on your neighbor. Take on your family. Be light to them. You know, they can tell if we don't like them. And so he's saying, bless them. Pray for your cities. You know, when, when we have a problem in the church, and we have two attitudes that rise up within us. One is we have the attitude of Jonah. Jonah God said to Jonah three times, he, well, he called the city of Nineveh, Three times, that great city, Nineveh. Sacrificing their children to idols, you know, godless, you know, totally pagan. And, and God says to Jonah, I want you to go to them and I want you to tell them repent. And Jonah goes, no way! And he runs and then we find out later the reason he, he ran is and he's in this exchange with God. I mean, think about this. First of all, he's a prophet of the Lord. What does a prophet of the Lord do? They hear from the Lord and they deliver the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. And Jonah gets on a ship and heads the opposite direction. The complete opposite direction. And, he, and then later, in exchange with the Lord, he says, I, I, I don't want to do this because I know if I preach to them, they're going to repent. And they deserve to be Crispy critters. You know? And he, it was in his heart. It was in his heart to see them be judged. Man, we gotta get that out of us. Unless you wanna be judged. Unless you wanna be judged without mercy. Then it's probably a good idea to get that out of us. 
Because what Jesus said, if you judge, you'll be judged. If you don't judge, you won't be judged. And by the measure you judge others, you yourself will be, be, be judged and measured. I'm like, mercy, 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 mercy. I want, I want all the mercy equity I could possibly have. I don't want any, I don't want anybody examining me. I don't want the Lord God examining me based upon my righteousness. No thank you. No thank you. I want to be found in the righteousness of Jesus. And when I take myself out of that righteousness and I judge people and I lack mercy and I lack compassion, then I'm operating in my own strength, in my own realm, and I'll be judged and measured by that. No thank you. I will pray for the peace of my city. But not more, more than that. And this is the other part. that There's an older brother attitude. The older brother in the story of the prodigal, he, he resents the father and he resents the son. The repentant son. He, repent, he resented both of them. He, he said to his father, which I'm telling you, if I could get into it, it's, he said to his father a shameful thing. You know, he, first of all, he wouldn't even go in the house. He made his father come out to him, which in that culture and that society was anathema. He was shaming, publicly shaming his father. But his father, acting in such humility, came out to him and said, my son, you know, come on in with us. And then the older brother said, that son of yours totally cut himself off from the family relationship. Man, we do that. That daughter of yours, that person. Guess what? God created all of us. And He created us all in His image. All of us. And so we can't look at anyone who's not in this room today and, and disdain them uh, because they're not here. I guarantee you this, the only way they'll ever get here is if you get out of here and go to them and love them and embrace them right where they're at. And they're not a target. You know, they're not a notch on a belt. They're people that God loves and wants to reconcile to the family. And so we have the older brother attitude that we've got to get rid of. He also saw himself as a slave, not a son. He said, I've slaved for you all these years. He didn't understand who he was. He was a son. And the father told him, everything I have is yours. But it was because he saw himself as a servant, not a son. It gave him a totally distorted perspective and a totally messed up perspective. Okay. So we need to love our cities. We need to pray for our cities. And then he goes on. He says, you know, don't, this is the Lord Almighty. He says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying in my name, but I didn't send them. You know, we've got people out there that are getting wealthy, frankly, and, and, and living the lifestyle based on, you know, telling us just we'll give you our money. We'll give you everything we've got. But if you just tell us what we want to hear, tell us what makes you, us feel good. Tell us, tell us that we're going to get rich too. Tell us that we're going to be able to live, you know, the, the life. And we'll just give you everything I've got. And I have friends of mine that sometimes they'll be giving to a ministry like that. And I say, well, you do understand that, that that money you're giving to God's getting intercepted, don't you? 
you know, and it's providing jets and it's providing luxury homes and it's in vacation places around the world. It's being intercepted and God's not getting it. You know? These people who are telling people what they want to hear, if you give, God's going to give you. He's going to give you ten times, hundred times more. And he appeals to our greed. It appeals to just the unsanctified part of us. And I'm not making a blanket label thing over everybody and anybody, but I'm telling you there are some characteristics of some of this stuff that isn't the word of the Lord. Jesus, Bonhoeffer said this, when Jesus bids a man to come, he bids him to come and die. How's that merit message? You know, when he, in Luke 10, we heard a great message a couple months ago. Um, you know, in Luke 10, where Jesus has given the disciples their job description, and it was not good. You know, you know, you're going to be mocked and beat, and you know, people aren't going to throw you out of the cities, and and don't take any money with you. Just you know, Luke 10 just goes down this whole thing that goes. Why would anybody sign up for that? But because it's because it's because you're getting the opportunity to be a part partner in the greatest mission that's ever been known on the face of this earth. God's redemptive plan worked in and through us in the lives of other men and women. I have, I, I, I love Facebook. I love it. I've only had one or two bad experiences. Every time, every once in a while, I'll post something and I get these just responses that I go, what did you, what were you reading? Um, but that's just annoying. It's no big deal. But what I love about it is I get messages from somebody 40 years ago, 45 years ago, that said, you prayed with me to receive Jesus 45 years ago. And I'm serving the Lord today. And I was so glad to find you so I could let you know. I mean, I've got dozens of those. I, 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 don't know, I don't know where I've been, so I don't know what I've said where. But I'll tell you this, if it's a repeat, be gracious to me. Um, I have abnormalities on my brain. Um, <laughs> So, so we're doing this conference in 1984, and in the middle of the conference, there's this blood-curdling scream that just scared me half to death. I mean, just a shriek, you know, a long shriek. And uh, I never knew what it was. I was just glad I was standing on the stage with my guitar, and I didn't have to be out there with the crazies. Um, we were shrieking like that. And so I'm like, holy moly, you know, what have we gotten ourselves into? And so... So, you know, that we've had that conference. A lot of good things happened. We went on to do hundreds of other things and stuff. Well, Facebook, I get a request for a friend request. And I said yes to it. And all of a sudden, I get a letter from the shrieker. And she says, you won't remember me. And I said, I never forgot you. I have night terrors because of you. You know, I'm... I'm I, like, yeah, I remember you. And then she goes on to tell me her story. In a meeting, while we're worshiping, before ministry time, completely out of order, God reaches down and touches her and delivers her sovereignly from her depression, you know, from her suicidal tendencies and all of that. And she's got this 30-year record of a relationship with Jesus, a worship leader, a home group leader, one, the, they minister to the poor and carefully. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. And, and I like being a part of that mission. I like that a lot. And that's what God's calling us into. And that's what is so doggone attractive. 
But we've got to listen to what the Lord, word of the Lord says. So then it goes on, and, and he says, so here's the deal, folks. When 70 years pass, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, and I'll f fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. Now, that's kind of bad news, good news, isn't it? You know, if you're my age, I'm 60, if you're my age and, and you say to me, don't worry about it. In 70 years, I'll come and I'll make good on my promise to you. You know, I know you, I owe you, you know, $100,000, but I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you. In 70 years, I'll come back and I'll have the money and I'll give it to you. And I'll go, you'll be giving it to my great-grandchildren, not even my grandchildren. You know, it's like, you got to be kidding me. And again, for me, I take this and I'm broadening the interpretation. I'm going, listen, he's just saying, it's just going to take as long as it takes, folks. But I will come. And I will fill my promise. Because, because, I know my plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to something you. Plans to give you hope and, and a future. Um, That is a text, that is a, a sentence that gives us hope. It gives us hope. It's to give us perspective. It's not just, if you want to claim it as a promise, you have faith for that, God bless you. I, I don't have any problem with that. But please don't miss out that it's a sentence that gives us perspective on the overall picture. Yes, you may go through some difficulties. Yes, you may go through struggle. Yes, you may have a, a, a boss who's unjust or you may not make as much as this. I mean, whatever, fill in the blank. Whatever it is, it's going to be okay because our hope is not in our stuff. Our hope is not in our relationships. Our hope is not in our conditions. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Paul said that. He said, I've learned the secret. I mean, I mean, we got a gazillion books out there on that. But Paul said... I've learned the secret to be content in every circumstance, whether I'm in poverty or whether I've lived in prosperity, either one. I've learned to be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in Christ and it's in our hope that we have in Christ that we can move in and through every obstacle in every situation. And this is not hype. I'm living this stuff. I'm embracing these truths. I'm walking in these things. From the time I stepped down at Anaheim in 97 until, until the, the Lord reconnected me with the vineyard was for 16 years. 16 years I was away from home. But in that 16 years, at a certain point during it, I began to build and plant and eat right where I was. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't be standing here today. See, I like to give you some stuff that you can use. I like to give you some stuff that will support those power encounters. Something that can get you through tomorrow. And the day after that. And the day after that. And that's hope in Jesus. Let me go back to Romans 15, 13 and we'll close. My prayer for you 
just right now, I'm going to pray this for you. Just get in a posture to receive. Put pens down, Bibles down. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a little friend back in the United States. I'll see her when I get back. She got sick. She's 18 years old. And uh, she got sick one night. And uh, next morning she ended up in the hospital. Two weeks later, 18-year-old girl, a dancer, ends up without any arms or any legs. She had a disease that was rep moving rapidly through her body. They hacked off her arms. They hacked off her legs. After that, they had to do all these skin grafts. One after operation after another, after another, after another, after another. 22 operations. 22 operations and she's laying in this bed. She's just one big bandage. I used to go and just worship over her. And, um, and she just, she's just one big bandage. And her mom's there. Her dad is you know coming in and weeping and and you know what they never lost sight of? I know my plans for you. They're good and not evil. They believed it. They believe it. And she is a joy. She's got prosthetic legs and she's got a new mechanical arm. She can't have the other one because they didn't leave enough there for it. And she's a joy. Everything that comes out of her is a celebration. You know, not a complaint. Does she have a reason to complain? Could she get bitter? Nope. I mean, she could. But you know what she's chosen? To build and plant and eat right where she's at. She's She's people from around the world that are reaching out to her. People from every nation are reaching out to her. People from around the world are being encouraged by this little girl who was just into her 18-year-old life doing her thing with her friends and now God is using her to touch lives around the world because she chose to get better, not bitter. Because she chose to put her hope in Jesus not in the temporal promises of this world. Let's stand. Neil, can you come and let's do that song again?